0: Hello there, welcome back to the Pure and Simple Bible Podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, and this is episode 139. It's the first of a two-part series called The Pavior of God. That's right, The Pavior of God. That's not a typo. And the traveling microphone is still on the California road trip I'm just a teensy bit jealous that it's traveled more than I have over the past year. And the next stop is with Brother Isaac Moreno. Isaac and I have a conversation about the Pavior of God. When we think of the Gospels, we might think of the Savior sent from God, Jesus Christ. And we might think about how the Gospels reveal that God himself came in the form of a man to save mankind from sin. But what we might not think about is the Pavior sent by God, the Pavior for the Savior, that is John the Baptist. He was the Pavior in that he paved the way for Jesus to come into the world. And what's interesting about John is that he is the connecting link from the Old to the New Testament. He's the first prophet to come in 400 years of revelatory silence. And it may be said that to truly understand and appreciate the life of Jesus, we must first understand the role and the work of John as he prepared the way for the Christ. Now, in this first study, we'll begin by introducing our guest, Isaac Moreno. Then, Isaac will introduce us to John the Baptist's parents and the essential role that they played in his upbringing. Finally, we begin to talk about how John prepared the way for Jesus, and this mini-series will be broken into a couple of super episodes. They're a bit longer than what I typically like to release, but I had a hard time finding a natural stopping point for three regular-sized episodes, so enjoy these two extended-sized episodes, or super-sized, if you will. So, without any further ado, let's jump into the conversation, shall we? All right, brother, well, thank you, Isaac, so much for joining me virtually here on ZenCaster, and um, I, I think the the sound quality actually is pretty good. It sounds like we're in the same room, even though you're well like two thousand miles away. So thank you for joining me today. It's awesome to be here. Now, um, I don't know you very well. Greg Branch, who I previously recorded with, uh, recommended that you come on the the podcast, and so I I need this introduction as much as maybe some of the listeners do. So why don't you take a moment and tell us about yourself, where you live, what you do, all of that, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Man, those who know me best know that I'm not known for my brevity. So I'll try and keep this short. I'll try and give you the microwave version. Okay. So I'm 22 years old. I'm from Oakdale, California. I worship at the congregation here. And I obeyed the gospel three years ago on January 14th. So relatively new christian i'm still a babe so to speak so um what i'm doing right now is i'm currently going to college at stan state i'm going to school to be an elementary school teacher but that's not what i want to do okay i'm just going to school for my backup plan that's what the brethren here have recommended me to do and that's just the wisest thing to do i actually want to preach and part of that is that I'm working with the congregation here in Oakdale. I study with and under Jimmy Kating. I'm kind of like the assistant to the regional evangelist, so to speak. <laughs> sure. That's that's how I that's how I I kind of just that's my own self-proclaimed title, really. Um I'm just Timothy Hes Paul, but uh yeah, right. that's a little bit about me. Every day I just study the Bible and I play golf occasionally, so that's that's pretty much all I do do you mind
0: sharing for a moment how you heard about the gospel and, and uh, decided to obey it?
1: Yeah. And I got to keep this brief. Cause I don't, this could be a whole nother episode, but
0: Uh-oh. <laughs> um, so just <laughs> to give time. you,
1: yeah, just to give you the, the story Um, growing up. So my parents were not married. They, we did not go to church regularly, but we did go to, a church of Christ in Houston, California, which is by Turlock, but it was cups and classes. And I just went there sporadically. So um, the reason why I say they weren't married is we kind of, it was kind of like this unofficial divorce thing where I just kind of went there casually every other weekend. I didn't go, I didn't learn a lot. And plus we went to the Spanish congregation. I didn't understand Spanish. So I'm just a little kid just in church. So I didn't right. really learn a whole lot. I went to the Bible classes and everything. Fast forward to the age of 19. I didn't go to church. I would have casually checked the box of believer or Christian during those California State Standard Tests or the infomercials, whatever. <laughs> but uh, right. what happened was around 19, I subconsciously was... Looking for God without knowing it. I was going through some things in my personal life where I just started reading all these self-help books. Because I'm like, there's more to life. I'm, I'm missing out on something. So you're doing this. You're going through the whole plan and or just this whole procedure. And I worked at this gym in Oakdale where Wade Branch, who many of you might know, uh, me and him got connected. Or him and I got connected. He's a year older than me. So we went to high school together, but we never really talked in high school. We start talking and immediately I know this guy is different. Like this guy is not cursing. He's dressed modestly. We're at the gym. You know, just great times. And you guys, Jonathan, you know how it is with brothers. If you're friends with someone's brother, you're automatically friends with the other brothers. That's just how it goes. Right. (laughs) So one day... I get introduced to Lane Branch and we start talking. Well, I was unprovoked by this. I was working at the front counter of the gym. He had one foot out the door. And I said, whoa, 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 Lane. I got a question and he's like, what's up, man? And I asked him, where do you go to church? And this was totally unprovoked. We never talked about God. So I, I can remember vividly even to this day, he cleared his throat and he's like, "Um, I go to the, the Church of Christ by the skate park. He didn't know this, but remember, I used to go to a Church of Christ. Right. I didn't know the difference, but I was like, okay, that's familiar. Okay. And so I asked him, like a typical 19-year-old, hey, man, do you like it there? And <laughs> he 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 responds in total California surfer bro fashion. He says, yeah, man, it's pretty cool. You should check it out. And he got me. I asked him for his number. I, I went to services. And the first service they showed me, after, after service, they showed me a verse for everything we did in the worship, which I wasn't even looking for. But I was like, all right, great. Like, yeah, I believe you guys. And I told them, look, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe in all of this. But I need to prove to myself that I will change when I do that. If I obey the gospel, if I'm baptized, I can't tell you if it'll be a week, a month, a year, how long this will take, but I need to show myself. This is more than just who I'm taking to the prom. This is (laughs) going to change my life, you know? So I started studying for, or I started going with them to church for a couple months. And this is in November of, 2017 in the January of 2018, uh, I obeyed the gospel and I've just been going ever since. I hope that answers your question.
0: <laughs> it does. It does. I think it's a it is an inspiring story to hear um, how people come to the Lord and all of the different ways that we come to the Lord. So thank you for sharing. I I admire your background because. Even though I, um, I obeyed the gospel when I was 11 and a half, and I was raised in a Christian family, so there is not a lot of connection there, but when I graduated college, I taught elementary school for seven years while laboring with the congregation um, in the after hours. I was like Batman, you know, so, yeah. school teacher by day and preacher by night. So I can admire that plan. I think it's very wise to have that. I like to call it my tent making. So maybe you'll mm-hmm. we'll have that opportunity as well. Now, I am curious about this title, and maybe others are as well. Um, you know, p- people are looking at it on their phone or on the the computer. It's called the Pavior of God. At least I think that's how you pronounce it. Is that right? The Pavior. You're, you of got that.
1: Yeah, 100% correct. That's the behavior of God.
0: Okay, okay. So maybe you could begin this Bible study by explaining um, who this behavior is and, and what you mean by that play on words with Savior.
1: Okay, so usually when we study the Bible and we study the New Testament, we know who this Savior sent from God is. Like you said, that's obviously that's Jesus Christ. He came and He saved the world from our sins. But not a lot of people know who the paver sent from God is. That's that's just a fancy word for saying one who paves the way. I went to Missouri and I went to Mississippi, and they asked me, "Is that a California word?" You know, (laughs) it's not a word that I made up or anything. I I read it in a book, so um, it's just a fancy word that that goes to show someone who paves the way. And what we're talking about here is John the Baptist, Uh because john the baptist is the one who paved the way for jesus he's the we, we know that jesus fulfilled the whole old law but john the baptist is the one who connects the old testament and the new testament because he's the first one spoken of um ending the 400 years of revelatory silence right so right in order for us to truly understand the gospel which is all of our goals We have the same goal in understanding the gospel and better appreciating Christ's plan. We first have to understand John the Baptist's role in God's plan in order to do so.
0: I like that. I like that. In fact, you know, I'm going to I'm going to make a comment just because I I can hear somebody out there going, actually, and then they'll uh, say something about his name i think john the baptist is probably the the most common way that people are familiar with him but somebody out there may be thinking that's not uh the best name we should call him john the immerser or mm-hmm. john the baptizer and so i you know let's let us pay tribute to the fact that those probably are more accurate names but like you i i typically just say john the baptist because it's the one that is the most common right. that people know about so we're talking about the guy who's like you said, making the way for Jesus. And I, I think that's really cool that we were going to study this because there are some tricky questions that need to be answered. Maybe you could uh, begin by explaining the the three big points that you want to cover, and then you know we can just jump into the first one.
1: Okay, awesome. So the first point that we're going to try and look at is John as a person. We're going to look at right. the birth announcement, his birth all the way until, or skipping into, his manifestation to Israel. We're just going to look at his his upbringing. Then secondly, we're going to talk about John's preparation. So we'll see what John the Baptist actually did in preparing the way for Jesus. But lastly, we'll try and look at John's perspective. And we'll try and see how he viewed himself in God's plan. And we'll kind of take away some uh, lessons we could apply to ourselves today in God's plan.
0: Nice, nice. That sounds great. I love having a little bit of structure. Um, I know a lot of people listen to this while they're driving or maybe doing the dishes or folding laundry, and so kind of having a mental roadmap of where we're going is helpful. Mm -hmm. You said that the first, I guess, big point you want to talk about is, is his person, his background. So that's, I guess, my first question for you is, where did John come
1: from? Okay, perfect. So, you know, normally when we talk about someone's background and where they're from and everything, when we think of a biography or an autobi- uh, autobiography, we start with someone's parents. John the Baptist's parents are unique in the fact that, well, let's just go ahead and read what the Bible says about them. So Jonathan, if you please would, would you please read Luke chapter 1 and verses 5 through 7? Sure. Sure.
0: Okay, Luke 1.5 says, "...there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both
1: well advanced in years." Okay, perfect. So both of John the Baptist's parents are they're talked about here. He's got Zacharias for his father, and he's got Elizabeth as his mother. What's interesting is that the Bible says that they're both from the priestly tribe of Levi. His father's from the order of Abijah, and his mother's from the daughters of Aaron. So it'd be kind of like if someone today had preacher parents on both sides. <laughs> Okay. So the father in law is a preacher, the the dad's a preacher. So it's kind of like that. Or something to that effect. But Right. This, there's there's pedigree in the family. Exactly. And these parents, they're not just lukewarm or casual Jews. The Bible says they're devout. They're described mm. as being righteous and blameless. Which it's one thing for us to say that someone is righteous or blameless, but it's a whole different ballgame when the Bible says. Someone right. is righteous and blameless, so that's when we know right. it's one hundred percent correct. Right. So, to the outsider, it looked like these people were righteous, but there was a problem. They didn't have any children, and they were old in age. Mm-hmm. So, to people in that day and time period, if someone looked righteous, but they couldn't have any kids, it'd be assumed that these these guys they're hiding something. They're just pretending. They're not. They're not righteous. God is punishing them. That's why they're not having kids, but that's not the truth at all.
0: It makes me think in John nine about uh, there is a man who was born blind, and the the disciples when they see it, they ask Jesus, "Hey, who sinned, this man or his parents, that mm-hmm. he would be born blind?" And so yeah, just the mindset of people during that time of God punishing people uh, maybe by making them barren or by uh, their their children having some sort of handicap seemed to be a pretty common view among the Jewish people of that time. So yeah, anyway, it's just uh, it's sad, but it seems like what you're saying is is
1: is pretty common in the Scripture. Right, and that's a perfect example. And we know Jesus says no, they didn't sin. So even Jesus at that example, he tries to to undo that false concept of the parents having to do something. And that's exactly what your dad talked about um, in Ezekiel 18, if I'm not mistaken, on his episode, right?
0: Mm-hmm,
1: that's right. How the father and the son and they, everyone has free will. So, it, yeah, We, I highly recommend you guys watch and listen <laughs> to that episode. I don't want to give a recap of that because he did just an excellent job. But anyways, getting back to this, like I said, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were righteous. It appeared like they were being punished by God because they didn't have a they didn't have a kid, but their fate was gonna change, and the Bible talks about this in Luke chapter one, verses eleven through fifteen. Um, I'll go ahead and read this. Okay. It says in Luke chapter one and verse eleven, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. I'll tell you something. It's I hate saying creepy
0: because it doesn't sound maybe appropriate. Right. Maybe I'll say uh, it is, I don't know, I don't have a, a way to describe it other than it blows my mind uh, how sometimes whenever you you read the Bible, um, and when you read the Bible, things kind of make connections, so mm-hmm. I'm a little bit in awe because I didn't know exactly what we were going to be talking about today um, until you know I got the notes and started to go through it and stuff. But just this week, we've been reading through Luke um, in my family with my family um, during our family worship time, and uh, so usually at the breakfast table or in the evening, we're reading from Luke, and we just went through this, I think last week, and I asked my kids a question, and you know they gave me their kid version answer because of what we see in kid Bibles, mm-hmm. so that kind of uh, piqued my interest, Isaac, to to ask you the question about what. Did angel visits usually mean for people, and what's the misconception maybe that you see um, in our modern day eyes when we think about angel visits?
1: So when we usually think of angel visits, I don't know if you're like me, but usually the way the world paints angels is sometimes, and you go to some bathrooms and they got angels on the wall. It's these little kids, they're infants, they got wings and it's this whole lovey dovey scene. Yeah, but the that's chubby not... babies. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the Gerber babies on there with wings. <laughs> but that's not that's not anything like how the Bible portrays angels. Because it's interesting that Jesus says at one point that he could have sent angels to fight for him. Now, right. that's probably not Gerber baby angels <laughs> he's talking about, you know, with wings that you see in the bathroom. They so were these are with cuteness no yeah exactly so these angels there's something to be to be terrified of they're they're extremely powerful they're God's warriors they're they're God's army so to speak So when Zacharias is in the temple this just adds to his nerves and his anxieties because this is a once in a lifetime opportunity he's in the temple and he's doing something very important he's in the holy place doesn't want to mess up. And then think about it, just the one time you're in there, an angel comes, which right. would just make your nerves and your anxieties go over the, overboard completely. But instead of bringing terrifying news or anything like that, the angel comforts Zacharias, and he says, you're going to have a son. Your prayers, Your prayer has been answered. So he predicts what's going to happen. He says, you're going to have a son. Name him John. He predicts the reception of this child. He said, in the eyes of the of your parents, of you and Elizabeth, you guys will be filled with joy and gladness. In the eyes of the public, many would rejoice at his birth. But in God's sight, this boy would be great. What a burden, you know, if you think about that. What a burden
0: that must be. And I think right. that's the comment I'd like to make about angel visits is that the the news may be wonderful and it may be i mean it's life changing but it's always something that's going to make you stretch and grow and so there is that that sense of almost dread i could i could imagine the sense of dread knowing that suddenly you have a tremendous responsibility that this morning you didn't wake up even you know remotely planning on it being this way and anytime angels visited people yeah you, you kind of see it that way there's this this sense of of dread even though it is a wonderful if i can co-mingle it it's a wonderful opportunity um so I, if we can maybe fast forward a bit we know uh, that that Zechariah was a little bit shocked didn't necessarily believe that it could happen could you give us the spark notes version of what happens
1: so what happens is, firstly, first, before we get to him not believing in, in, in the, the Sparknotes version, we miss a key detail if we look over this. This would not stand out to us just if we're reading the Bible, but this has great significance in the scope of understanding John the Baptist. It says that he would not eat or drink um, wine or strong drink, which now the angel's predicting his lifestyle, John's lifestyle. Because this is a mm-hmm. Nazarite vow. This isn't now I was studying with someone earlier this week and, and we talked about this. We were going through this prophecy in Matthew chapter two where it says Jesus would be a Nazarene. But these Ooh, two okay. are are not to be confused. They're they're completely different. Two different concepts. So Okay, hold on. That- let me let me
0: pause you there just so I can I need to soak this in. Jesus is called a Nazarene uh-huh. and John the Baptist the angel says he's going to be a Nazarite, Nazarene, Nazarite. Can can you help me understand the difference? Yeah, I'll
1: try to. So what John the Baptist is going to do, his lifestyle is going to be under a Nazarite vow, which that's spoken of in Numbers chapter 6. What's going to be easier for us to connect and understand what a Nazarite is, is just to give some examples of Old Testament Nazarites. The The two people in the Old Testament that are Nazarites are samuel and samson these are men that uh-huh. that lived extraordinary lives and part of being a nazirite you couldn't cut your hair you couldn't eat it or drink any grape products you could not touch any dead bodies the whole point was that you would be physically clean and dedicated to god for service right right and connecting this back with john the baptist his whole life will be dedicated to god in service because what we just read in luke chapter two is that from the womb, he would have the Holy Spirit. Okay. And then, so what's different from that in a Nazarene? So, excuse me. So a Nazarene, I don't know if I understand this completely, but Matthew chapter two and verse 23, that's where Jesus, he goes to Nazareth because it was fulfilled that he would be a Nazarene. It's one of the strangest prophecies in the entire Bible because If you look there, there's no verse that it fulfills. So being a Nazarene, it speaks of the overall message or theme of the Old Testament that Jesus was going to be rejected. Because if you can remember in John 1, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh Aha. Okay. Okay. So So that makes sense. Yeah. One speaks of a manner of life and one speaks of rejection or or the reception of one man.
0: Sure, and specifically uh, that he that that he's being rejected by those from Nazareth, a Nazarene. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe in my very simple mind, um, a Nazarene has a location marker, so you could only be rejected from Nazareth or Naz. You could only be a Nazarene if you were rejected in Nazareth. Right. Whereas anybody could, if you're a, a, one of these, uh, an Old Testament observing Jew, anyone could be a, a Nazarite wherever you came from. If you took the vow, is that
1: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. So fast forward a few verses, we get to Luke chapter one and verse 80, and this gives us a summary of the upbringing of John the Baptist. It says there in Luke chapter one and verse 80. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So after verse 80, we don't read anything talking about John the Baptist or his, his upbringing, his teenage years, his, his years before the ministry, nothing like that. Even though we don't read anything new after verse 80, we actually have all the pieces we need to kind of paint the picture of how he was raised.
0: We fast forwarded through a lot. And even though we may not see um, the way that his parents raised him, you can see a lot of good details in that in Luke chapter one about how Elizabeth and Zechariah eventually, you know, Zechariah, like you said, had a, that moment of disbelief, but he does kind of come around uh, later in the chapter and, and accept God's will and and even stand up to his neighbors. So we we do have, like you said, the puzzle pieces to put together um, that they were righteous parents and y- you you call them proper parents, and so I was hoping maybe you might. Uh, for our audience's sake, take a moment and, and, and encourage parents out there based on the the proper parentage of John the Baptist.
1: Right. So John the Baptist's parents, they're they're righteous and they were blameless. They obeyed God in all the commands and ordinances. They're proper parents, but they weren't supernatural in anything they did. All they did what was so spectacular, they obeyed God's Word. They just mm-hmm. did what God's Word said. And I think it's a powerful verse for us to look at. Uh, We're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11 and read verses 18 through 21. Being that they were righteous and blameless, these parents no doubt would have followed this Old Testament command. So if you'd please read, Jonathan, Deuteronomy 11 verses 18 through 21.
0: Sure. Verse 18 says, Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth.
1: Perfect. So John the Baptist's parents, they're righteous, they're blameless. They would have followed this Old Testament command to teach their children the word of God. And the big thing here is their house, when we think about homes, we think about what does your home reflect? What does your home teach? Does it teach wickedness or godliness? does it reflect worldliness or righteousness just things like that this home definitely taught their taught their children the word of god it was a it was the perfect place for them to grow their kids spiritually so john the baptist had the best home life possible to prepare him for his life's work but in turning this around with us you know i said this at the intro i'm 22 years old and i don't have a family so it might be kind of different where How could I talk about how someone would raise their family? But what I want to do with this is, this is not my idea or anything that I came up with. This is just what the Bible says for everyone to follow. So I can only look at what I did not have in my personal upbringing to kind of try and encourage people. The Bible here encourages us what to do because of these parents. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, we, we're we not raising our children in the wilderness in West Texas to grow our kids. You know, we're not in the desert away from everyone so that this could be possible. But we have to ask ourselves, how well are we doing at home to teach our kids the word of God? Does their home encourage spiritual things or worldly things? So are we giving right. our kids the best chance? is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I
0: I appreciate that. Um, I think there is a feeling of inadequacy, probably within most parents, about their ability to to be everything that their kid needs them to be. And so, even though, Isaac, you're not a parent yet, um, Lord willing, I think you can take the scriptures as, as you've just read them and you get to make that part of the foundation that builds your home and you're going to be off to a great start. And I'll just tell our, our listeners as well, if you're kind of listening in real time, you know, these episodes, I try to make them evergreen so you can listen to them anytime, but um, this is being recorded in February of 2021. And as we're recording this, uh, there's kind of a unique thing going on. Brother Aaron Batty is doing 30 days of family worship, at his uh, YouTube page for Five Minute Bible Study. And so if you want to go look that up, if I can remember, maybe I'll put the link in the show notes uh, for this episode, but it's each night he's putting up a video of a different father leading family worship, and I think it's a great visual for uh, young families to see other families leading worship, and, and you really feel empowered. You're like, oh, I could do this too. And uh, it it doesn't have to look a specific way, because what you're going to see is each family does something just a little bit different. But the important thing is that they are doing what Deuteronomy 11 says. You know, they're teaching their children, speaking at home, on the way, laying down, rising up. And it's it's a great encouragement for me. So anyway, I just want to share that with folks, that we can all be like Zechariah and Elizabeth, and we can raise our children to be
1: godly, even though we don't live in the desert. Yeah, perfect, that, even though we don't live in the desert. And just to, just to teach us, you know, this is not just an Old Testament commandment found in Deuteronomy. Because in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So we see, just to keep that theme in Old Testament New Testament, this is something for parents to do on at all times, in all generations, really. What we've seen is that John the Baptist was given, he had he had the proper parents, he had the proper living place, which in turn, it's going to help prepare him perfectly for his life's work. Because this young boy in the desert, the day would come when he would shift his focus from preparing himself to then preparing the people for Christ. So now we're at our second point, John's preparation. Yeah,
0: let me... Uh just, uh, you've, you've kind of summarized for our audience and, and I'll, I'll, I'll do the same just to mark a a transition mentally for them to be thinking about. We've got a guy who's now living out in the desert. His food, I know the scripture says is locust and wild honey. He's a wild man, right? He wears Mm -hmm. camel hair clothes. Like this is not, uh, somebody that, that maybe, uh, certain people would be comfortable around because he more or less looks homeless and his diet is, he's probably rail thin, you know, he doesn't have a lot of meat on the bones. And I doubt he lives in a place that's, uh, he has access to, you know, uh, cleaning products the way that we would think a person should be hygienic. And so I imagine that he just looks really, really rough. And yet he's the one who's preparing the way for Christ. So just looking at the man, uh, he's just exuding this raw, you know, wilderness man uh, kind of motif, and and here we have some of the most beautiful imagery about preparing the way. So I love this section in your study where you you kind of stop and paint a picture of what it meant to be a herald or somebody that would pave the way for the greater person coming after them. Uh, could you spend some time maybe helping our listeners have that mental picture?
1: Yeah, perfect. So this is actually my favorite part of the whole study. It's, it's weird saying you get a favorite part because you love it all, but this was the most interesting sure. part to me when I first started studying it. So this is where we get that word pavior from. And just to kind of highlight or recap, pavior just means someone who paves the way. And this isn't just an Isaac term or a California term. This is a this is a concept that's quite historical. Because back in the first century and the olden days, kings would have this custom of sending a messenger, a harbinger, a herald, a paver before them to go prepare the way so that the king, when he came, it'd be clear roads. Mission would go down and it'd just be easily accessible for that king to go through and travel. But these kings, they would spend time, they would be doing their business, but these messengers, they would be preparing the way in a couple different ways. Okay. They would cut down forests, they would make bridges, they would make roads, they would do anything that was necessary to prepare the way for the king. And like those kings, John the Baptist prepared the way For Jesus, our King. And before we get into how he did this or the difference in how they prepared the way, I just want to show us that this is not just historical, but this is actually quite biblical. So if you would please read Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3
0: through 5. Sure. It says The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low; the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's cool. You know, reading that in context of what you just said, um, of this herald or harbinger that they go before the king, kind of mowing down Mm -hmm. any obstacle so that the king can come through. Uh, easier than they would have if there hadn't been anything. And I also think the the Herald is also preparing the people for the king's coming. You know, since they don't have email or phone or anything like that, the the Herald is going to tell people along the way, watch out because behind me here comes the king. That's cool. Um, I'm curious about, though, is there differences between the role or, or, you know, how far do we take it? Uh, as far as these physical heralds and and what they did versus what John did and and his preparing for Jesus.
1: Right. So the biggest difference between those worldly messengers and, and just servants, those heralds and harbingers, and John the Baptist is that those guys, they cut down forests, they made bridges, they made roads, they prepared the way physically. Uh-huh. But John the Baptist prepared the way spiritually. The Bible uh-huh. says in... Matthew 3, he told the Jews he commanded them to repent. He told them to confess their sins in Mark 1. And he told them to turn back to God in Luke 1. And here we see the whole difference between the worldly kings and the kingdom of God. There's the emphasis those worldly kings prepared physically because they are physical kingdoms. But the kingdom of heaven, it's a spiritual kingdom. That's why it was prepared spiritually by John the Baptist.
0: We, I think, we emphasize that a
1: lot—that
0: mm-hmm. the kingdom is spiritual. And one of my favorite scriptures for that is Luke seventeen twenty, where Jesus said that you know people are going to be looking this way and that way, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's within you. And so that makes total sense of what you're saying—that John was preparing the way spiritually. That he, it, it wasn't that he was physically out in the desert getting things ready, but rather he's he's preaching, and he's getting people ready for. The, the ministry and mission of the
1: Messiah. Right. And just to add to that, add to your point, Jesus even says himself in John 18, 36 and 37, they ask him, are you a king? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. Ooh, it's a spiritual like kingdom. So that's just, that's just extra credit. That's just the icing on the cake. But <laughs> you, you, you made that clear, but
0: yeah, sure. Sure. Let me ask you this um as far as johns ministry as a herald
1: did he succeed so short answer he completely succeeded now there's a couple different scopes in how he succeeded there was publicly there was privately and then there was personally he succeeded in all ways the first scope is that on the public scale so we'll read a couple of verses that just show us without a without a doubt he succeeded The first one I'll read is Matthew chapter 3 and verse 5. The Bible says there, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Before we just comment on that verse, let's go ahead and read Mark chapter 1 and verse 4. It says there in Mark chapter 1 and verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So short answer, John the Baptist, he was successful. He he influenced, he affected a whole entire region. It's a ministry completely unlike the complete opposite of Jeremiah, who preached 30 or 40 years and didn't have one person repent or co- or convert. It's the complete right. opposite. He influenced a lot of people.
0: Right. I, it's, it's kind of amazing. I mean, this has got to be a, a culture shift, right, if you think about it. Um, I think a lot of times we, we kind of go over it so quickly because the Gospels are about Jesus, but that verse says, all Judea and from mm-hmm. Jerusalem. And so this has got to be just thousands and thousands of people who have been baptized by John and have listened to his preaching And now mentally, they are waiting for a Messiah, uh, according to the teaching of John. So yeah, that's, uh, that's an overwhelming success for what he was called to do.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't stop there, because that was the public scope. But then it gets much more private, because there's an account in John chapter 1, 35 through 42, where John the Baptist, he's got two of his disciples. He tells his disciples, look, that's the Lamb of God. That's him right there. So these two disciples, one of them goes home. He tells his brother, we found the Messiah. And this brother, in turn, they both start becoming disciples of Jesus. And those two men, the one who got the brother was Andrew. So Andrew the one who went home and he got his brother, Simon. But I want to just spend a little bit of time on this. This is a, I just want to leverage a teachable moment. When we talk about the gospel or we think about the New Testament, we know way more about Simon Peter than we do Andrew. Right. But what this teaches us is that even though Peter's in the public eye, he's the preacher. He gave the first gospel sermon. He's got the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 16. He's not the one who first found the Messiah and showed his brother. His brother, Mm -hmm. who we know much Mm -hmm. less about, is the one who who brought his brother to the Messiah. So I think this is a great teaching moment to just tell us it's not just the preacher's job to go and evangelize or to point people in the right direction. This is some, this is something that, uh, just giving a plug to Jimmy or shout out to Jimmy. We have this, uh, we have this kind of theme in Oakdale. It's called keeping it real. And I'm going to butcher the acronym. I think it's relationships. Uh, edification evangelism evangelism and leadership and that's something everybody can do behind the scenes it's not just something that the preacher does so andrew he's the one that brings peter but so we see that the private influence that john the baptist had it led to some disciples of jesus who became apostles
0: yes i love it i love the public ministry private ministry and you have uh, another point here. I don't think you call it this, but uh, we might call it the the icing on the cake, mm-hmm. the proverbial icing on the cake or the, the feather in the cap, so to speak. Um, and and you, you talk about perhaps the greatest moment of his life was that he got to baptize Jesus, right?
1: Right, exactly. So this is something that's talked about in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. John the Baptist comes to baptize Jesus, or excuse me, Jesus comes to John the Baptist to be baptized. This, no doubt, is one of the most monumental events in the life of John the Baptist. And before we before we say anything else, I just want to read this event. It, it's just beautiful. So if you'd please read, Jonathan, uh, 13 through 17 of Matthew 3. Sure.
0: Uh, verse 13 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him, and John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying, "This is my beloved Son, in whom
1: I am well pleased." Okay, there's a lot to unpack here, but I just want to uh, point out a few things. First off, John's humility—it's on full display. He he sees Jesus, and he says. I need to be baptized by you, but but you you're coming to me. You know I have sinned, and you haven't sinned. So, well, I don't. What, what's going on? That's not what's supposed to happen. This is probably
0: one of the the tougher questions that that people try to ask whenever they they say that you don't have to be baptized um, because it's a work, and uh, Jesus wasn't baptized. For the remission of sins, and so we don't have to be—there's there. There's just a lot of ways that people might try to wiggle around things. But Jesus was baptized, and he had a reason for it. And so, I guess, Isaac, I'd
1: like to ask you, why was he baptized? Okay, so this is, this is a question I love because the sad truth is not a lot of Christians know the answer. It's not something we talk about often or enough about. Right. So, the reason is Jesus says, he says to fulfill all righteousness. Now that doesn't really help us understand that's a loaded question or that's a loaded statement. Uh huh. It's easier just to repeat than to really understand it. But what we're going to find is that the answer to why Jesus was baptized and the difference between why Jesus was baptized and why we're baptized, it's actually going to be found out in John chapter one. If we just let the Bible interpret itself, it's going to be found out in John chapter 1, 29 through 34, when John's retelling this same event to a different group of people. But so just to paint the scene, we're we're going to go there and read John chapter 1 and verse 29. Jesus okay. was just baptized and uh, just kind of a thought. It, it's always funny to me. This is just coming to my mind. Johnny says, I need to be baptized by you. You're coming to me. And Jesus, he he basically says, yeah, I know. Just this one time, though, just this one time. Let's just do it like this to fulfill all righteousness. And we'll see the the reason why he had to be baptized in John chapter one. So in verse 29, it says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So, mm-hmm. we really got to unpack this situation too, just to connect both of them.
0: Right. So,
1: John, he says, There was someone who sent me to baptize. And we didn't cover this, but we know from John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, the Bible says, There was a man sent by God whose name was John. Uh-huh. So, when John is saying this, he's saying, because we should have read this. Well, if someone's just reading John 1, you would have read this earlier, but it's clear that God sent John. And in verse 33 of John 1, it says, look, the one who sent me, he said, there's going to be someone you baptize and you're going to see the the spirit descending upon him. That's the son of God. So the whole reason why Jesus had to be baptized is because God promised John the Baptist a sign. And if Jesus had not have done that, he would have made God a liar. And then Jesus would have sinned because a side point is the things that John the Baptist taught, he didn't just make up. These things were from God. If you remember, Jonathan, Jesus in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 25, when he's talking to the Pharisees, they ask him, what authority authority do you have to do these things? And he says, okay, okay, I'll answer your question by asking a question. He said, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from men? And it's very clear. Jesus says that because John the Baptist teaching was from heaven. And therefore, right. if it was from heaven, it was a command, right? But these Pharisees did not obey this command. Mm-hmm. So that's why Jesus had to obey. It was a command from God that John the Baptist gave. And because God promised John or, er, Yeah, excuse me. John was promised a sign by God that the Messiah would be revealed through this sign. We're baptized for the remission of our sins. Jesus was baptized to remain sinless. As
0: we end for now, I want to repeat that final phrase. We are baptized for the remission of our sins, but Jesus was baptized to remain sinless. What a powerful point! Thank you, Isaac, for that and for the study. Now, dear P.S.B. listeners, I've said this a few times previously, and I want to say it again just because uh, your response to it has been very encouraging and overwhelming for me. And so, I just want to share a word of thanks. Thank you for your prayer. Thank you for the messages that you send. I have some of you that have uh, reached out on Facebook Messenger. They've sent me emails that. Bible at gmail.com or if you've texted me just to let me know that the podcast has been helpful for you and that you're encouraged by it. And really what that does is it starts a cycle of encouragement because I'm encouraged whenever I hear those things. So thank you for reaching out uh, for those who've taken the time. It's helpful for me and it motivates me to keep going. I am grateful from the bottom of my heart. And, like always, I want to encourage you to go to the website where you can look up all the resources, the workbooks, the videos, the podcast library, everything that's absolutely free to download. Go check it out. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much. And I do, too. We're willing, season. Well I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon, he was a man like me and you, well his Rose in some trouble.